and break every chain, oh God. You have done great We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lives in high, oh God. You have done great things. You have done great things. Oh God, you do great things. Oh yes, you have. You'll do it again. The God of great things. Amen. Well, he's the great God. He's the one who helps us dance in freedom, breaks chains. He's the healer. He's the deliverer. He's above it all, above any other. He's the one who turns water to wine. He makes beauty from ashes. Let's sing about that. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you, none like you. Into the darkness you shine, out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you, none like you. Our God is greater. Lift it up. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God you are higher than any other, our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, our God, oh that's who he is, what he's done. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine. Out of the ashes we rise. There's no one like you. None like you. Our God is greater. Sing it. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome in power. Our God. Our God. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are Awesome in power, our God, our God. And the good news in Romans is that if He is for us, can't nobody be against us. Amen. Let's sing this together. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? 
Let your soul proclaim it. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer. Awesome and power. Our God. Our God. Hey. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. God, you are our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? Yeah, yeah. Oh, what could stand against? Well, we sing it boldly, what could stand against. But do you ever have those moments where it didn't feel that way, you know? The enemy's working too, and, you know, you feel overwhelmed in life. I just got to give a, a praise to God this week. Um, we're we're going to sing this chorus again, okay? Our God is healer. He's, he's above it all. He, right, we're going we're gonna to sing that chorus again. And I would just encourage you to grab onto whichever part of it you really need, your soul needs today. You know, is it that he's healer? I'm just, we're praying for Matt, and God's done amazing things there, and that's just so awesome. Love you, Matt. And, you know, like, what is it in your life, in your heart, where, where it may not feel like nothing can come against? It's feeling like things are coming against. Um, this week, I'll, I'll, I don't have time to go into the whole story, but there was something coming against in our family, and the answer was in the room. Last Sunday at church, um, it wound up, the answer was sitting a couple of rows behind my wife and I in church for this huge thing that's going on. And we didn't even know it at the time. And God revealed it the next day. Like, oh, we're going to make the, he made a connection uh, for us. And the answer was in the room. <laughs> so who knows what answer could be in this room or what God has planned that is unseen to your eyes, to our eyes in this moment. But he is working. And if he is for us, if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand? Nothing. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand again? Our God is greater. Sing it. Our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other, and our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, oh, our God. One more time, proclaim it. Our God is greater, our God is stronger, God, you are higher than 
and anything that's going on. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God, oh, our God, oh, that's who he is, oh, that's who you are, oh, you're the great God, you're the great We're going to continue singing about God's greatness. Jess is going to lead us. It's his very breath that's in us, in our lungs. We're going to pour out our praise to him. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you, God, for the ways that you're working. There's ways that we can see, and there are ways that we can't see. And I thank you that you are above it all. As we sang, you are awesome in power. You are a healer. You are the one that brings beauty for ashes, and, and you are the one that's always working. You're always working, Lord. So help us to see it, and help us to trust you in the moments that we can't see it. And we, uh, we trust that you, are, you will continue, as we sang this morning, you're going to continue to do great things. We worship and praise you and say all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. All right, you can have a seat. Morning. Morning. Welcome to our Sunday morning service. My name is Josh, and really glad to have you here. Uh, if this is your first time at Solano Valley Church, we want to let you know how excited we are for you to be here. Hope that our casual environment will help you feel comfortable. I also want to let you know we have a great kids program for your little ones, an awesome youth group that meets on Wednesday nights, and a small group and small groups for everyone in your family. We'd love for you to visit on Facebook and download the, our FCC app. Those are the best ways to get information about our upcoming events, groups, and for us to get to know a bit more about you and how we can serve and pray for you. At FCC, we believe that one of the best ways to grow spiritually is in the context of community. Whether you are brand new to following Jesus, or you've been following him for years, or you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, we believe that the relationships you find in a small group while volunteering are an ideal place to grow and connect. We want to help you find a place to truly belong, to celebrate the joys of life, and to weather the storms together. That's why community and connection is so important. You don't have to have any Bible knowledge to join a small group. Just show up. There's always a seat open for you. On the first Sunday of every morning, oh, I'm sorry, every morning, okay, every month, we get together for revival prayer. This is a time for us to agree together as a church in prayer for each other, our community, and our world. On Sunday, June 6th at 6.30, we will meet here at church to pray. We'd be honored to have you join us that evening as we pray together, as we pray together for revival in our hearts, our community, and beyond. Right now, we have the honor and privilege of worshiping God with our tithes and offerings. We believe giving is an act of worship as it honors and glorifies God. It gives us a chance to support the church's mission of making disciples, and we get to participate in seeing people's lives change as those disciples become more and more like Jesus. There are four ways that you can give to our church. You can go online and give at www.solanovalley.org slash giving. Uh, second one, my personal favorite, so easy, is tap give on the SEC phone app. 
The third is uh, sending a check to 1307 Oliver Road, Fairfield, California, 94534. Or text GIVE to 707-883-3019. You can also drop your offering uh, off in the mail slot back by the offices in the building, uh, in the building next to the office. <laughs> we want to thank you all for, uh, for our, uh, you giving so generously uh, to SCC. Now I'd like to turn it back over to Pastor Gary to continue our sermon series, Building Stronger Homes. All right. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Josh. Hey, did he do a great job? Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Hey, you know, this is really, I, I, uh, I hate listening to myself uh, when I go back and like watch myself on YouTube or something like that. It's like my, my speaking voice is one that annoys me. Uh, and I understand well now why some people get annoyed, uh, but uh, especially when I preach long. But uh, it, it's really interesting So, because pastors do this. It's really fascinating. You get a group of pastors around, and you'll have one guy who's got, like, a perfect, like, radio voice. Josh has, like, a radio voice. It's like he's got a, that perfect voice, and it's like one of those things that, well, you know, God blessed me in other ways, and that's fine. That's, that's, that's good. I'll, I'll be grateful for how God has blessed me. Uh, we are in the middle of a series uh, where we're talking about building stronger homes. And uh, we're going to be, so far, uh, what we've talked about is we, we've talked about several things. And, well, actually, we've talked about two main things right now. And, and, and just real quickly, real quickly, is that, that I, you know, what God has given us, well, well, I have this analogy in my head, and I'm trying to figure out how to get here, all right? I have two legs to stand on. I have two legs to stand on. That's a blessing. That's a gift from God. Many of us here, we have two legs to stand on. Okay? I have two legs to walk on. Okay? I have two legs to walk on. If I was missing one of those legs, I wouldn't be able to walk. I wouldn't be able to stand without some kind of help. Right now, Jim hurt his ankle. He's having a little hard time standing and walking uh, while he's, he's nurturing a, a, an injured ankle. And, and so, but because my legs work together, I can walk and I can move and I can go where I want to go. And what God has given us to build really healthy, strong relationships with, and what God has given us to build a healthy marriage with, and what God has given us to build strong, healthy families and relationships with, is he's given us two things. Two things that we talked about over the last two weeks. That, that, that for, uh, to build a strong home, you, you really, and to, to build a strong home, you want love to permeate every aspect of your home. Does that make sense? We, we need, we want, we desire love. We need that. But the second thing we need is we need truth as a foundation for the home. We need truth. And, and truth and love are kind of like having two legs to stand on. Kind of like having two legs to walk with. Now, sometimes churches will major on truth, major on truth, major on truth. And meanwhile, if you're not careful, love begins to shrivel. They focus a lot on truth and little on love. And when this happens, you have something that looks a little bit like the Pharisees. It looks like legalism. Okay? It looks like moralism. By the way, moralism, legalism are not the gospel. Okay, they're not the gospel. Uh, but in the same way that a truth can major, or excuse me, the way, same way a church can major on truth, 
and in neglect love. A church can also major on love and neglect truth. Do you understand what I'm saying here? And over time, truth begins to wither. Now, in a home, in a home, when truth withers, or in a marriage, when truth withers, or in a relationship, truth withers, the relationship will ultimately break down. And in a home, in a marriage, in a relationship or a friendship, where love withers, eventually it'll fail. To have a healthy friendship, a healthy relationship, a healthy marriage, a healthy family and home, we need truth and love. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about God's design and plan for marriage. Now, uh, some of you know, I don't know how many of you know this, uh, this week, Joy and I will celebrate our 30th anniversary. Yeah, there we are, okay? Uh, this week, we are going to celebrate our 30th anniversary, and, uh, and so today, after church, we're going to disappear, uh, and we're going we're gonna to go down to Monterey, and we're going to stay for uh, three nights, and we are going to walk along the beach, and we're going to hold hands. And we're going to go to some shops we like to go to, both in Monterey, but also over in uh, Carmel. Uh, We're going to go to some restaurants. I really like Bubba Gump's. I don't know about you guys. But I love going to Bubba Gump's, and we're going to enjoy some really good seafood. And we're going to sleep until we wake up. No alarm. I'm turning off my alarm. And if we feel like taking a nap in the afternoon, we're going to take a nap. And if we feel like going for a walk by the beach, we're going to go for a walk by the beach. And if we feel like going parachuting, we're not going to feel like parachuting, okay? We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. I can just tell you right now, Joy's not going to jump out of an airplane. By the way, neither am I, okay? Okay? So it's just not my idea of fun, all right? I I just, I don't, yeah, it's not my idea of fun. Yeah. Probably won't parasail either, Dan. So, but what we're going to do is we're going to go and we are going to celebrate 30 fantastic years that God has gifted us with. Um, wow, man. And, and it is a gift. It, it, it is a gift. The, the other night I was talking, I made a new connection uh, with a guy who is doing ministry in Japan. And on Thursday night, well, it was Friday morning, his time, Thursday night, our time, we had a, a Zoom meeting. We were talking about some ministry things. We asked, well, he has connections to the Bay Area, and I needed to talk to him about a few different things. But he had just shared with me that six years ago, and he's younger than I am, but six years ago he said his wife graduated to heaven. And I thought, you know what? There's still joy in this guy. There's joy because he knows he's going to see his wife again. But at the same time, I look and I, I just thought, man, I am so gifted every day, every year I get to spend with joy. And, and marriage, I believe, is uh, a gift. I think it's something that God has given to us. Now, I believe, I believe that the Bible is God's Word. And I believe, and this is what we talked about last week, when we talked about truth as the foundation for the home. I think we all need a moral compass, a moral compass that always points true north. We all need a spiritual GPS 
Like when I go down to L.A., and I talked about this last week, when I go to L.A., if I trust my internal GPS to get me from where I am to where I'm going, you know what happens when I trust my internal GPS? I end up all over the place, but it takes me a long time to get to where I'm going. But when I trust in a GPS, not one that comes from within, but one that comes from above, satellite images and all that kind of good stuff, guess what? I find where I need to go. And God's Word is like a spiritual GPS. It guides us in all matters of life and faith, including how we should think about marriage, how we should think about family. Now, some people might say, well, well, why? Why would you trust the Bible as your spiritual compass? Why would you trust the Bible as your spiritual GPS? And real quick, I, this is how I would answer that question. Number one, number one, if Jesus, if Jesus rose from the dead, you with me here? You know, that's kind of a, uh, an important belief in the minds of many Christians. If Jesus rose from the dead, he is no mere man. He's not even just a prophet. He's not just a good moral teacher. If Jesus rose from the dead, everything in Christianity depends upon this one truth. If Jesus rose from the dead, if he defeated death, then Jesus is God. And if Jesus is God, the Bible is true. And if the Bible is true, it can guide us. We can trust it to guide us in all matters of life and faith. On the other hand, why can I trust in the Bible? I can trust in the Bible because of God's love. See, God's not just truth. He doesn't just give me truth. But what God has given me, an overwhelming portion, is that God has given me love. Now, how do we see that? When Jesus went to the cross. Jesus on the cross is an example of a kind of love that is, like, wild and crazy. I mean, most of us here, we, we have loved ones that we'd probably be willing to, to die for. And some of us here might know some people that we'd we be willing to let die uh, for themselves, we're not going to be like real eager to die for them. Does that make sense? But think about this, that, that God the Son left heaven. I mean, he's superior. We, you know, not so much. But God left heaven, and he laid down his life for you and me. So I believe we can trust God because uh, of the truth of the Bible and because of the love of God. So that being said, let me read for us. Uh, I'm looking for my glasses. Uh, they're on my head. Uh, let me read for us a little bit of Scripture, and, uh, and then I'm going to read it straight from this because right now I can't see very well because I still don't have my prescription glasses. So I'm just going to read from this. It'll be easier for me. And we're going to have it up on the screen. If you want to open your Bible, we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 1 a little bit and then Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says this, in verses 26 through 28, it says, Then God said, Then God said, Let us, and you might want to circle that word us, because what we see here in God is God doesn't say, uh, Let me. He says, Let us. That there is a plurality. Yes, God is one, but God is three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And we see a foreshadowing of this all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. And so God said, let us make mankind in our image. Again, our image. In our likeness. So that he may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. He created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Uh, in G- Genesis chapter 1, what we see is we see kind of a panoramic vision of God creating everything. And so God creates the light, and he creates, uh, he creates what... Uh, he creates sky, and he creates, uh, he separates land from water. And then what he does is he brings form to chaos. He brings uh, form to chaos, and then he brings fullness to form. That what he does is he uh, creates the sun, moon, and stars. He creates to bring fullness to the heavens. He brings, uh, he creates birds to fill the skies. He creates fish and and other water creatures to fill the seas. And he creates every living uh, thing to occupy the earth. And then the high point of God's creation, he creates humanity, mankind, in his image, male and female. And and it's very fascinating. As you read through Genesis chapter 1, this is what you read. You read, God saw, God God said, let there be. And then it says, God saw that it was good. God said, let there be, and there is. And then God saw that it was good. And six different times, as you read through Genesis chapter 1, it says that God saw that what he created is good. God saw that what he created is good. God saw that what he has created was good. And then he gets to humanity, you and me, created in the image of God, male and female. And he says this, God saw that it was very good, seven times good, six times good, one time very good. And part of what God wants us to understand is that God, by the power of his spoken word, created everything. He brought brought form to chaos, and then he brought fullness to form. And everything that God did was good, but you and I know that not everything in our world is good today. We're going to get to that, okay? Um, Chapter 2. This is the account. Of the heavens and the earth. Verse 4 of chapter 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Skip down to verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. By the way, it's very interesting. The word form there, the Hebrew word, is a word that's used of an artist who's uh, making something. Uh, Maybe like a statue or maybe making like a pot out of clay. It's like the work of an artist. I I really appreciate people 
you're gifted artistically. I, I you know, I, 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 like Peter is really gifted musically, you know, and, you know, so are, are Joy and Jessica and, and people who can write music and stuff like that. And, and then other people, they're really good artistically, like in painting. My daughter Faith is like an incredible, like painter and drawer. It just amazes me. I, I look at what she does and then I look at the stick figures I draw and it's like there's, let me just put it this way. Art did not come to the Ronsaval family, okay? It just didn't come that way, all right? Uh, but it came to her. But God, uh, what God does is he does the work of an artist. You know, when artists create, they, they give a lot of attention, a lot of attention to what they're doing. That what they do has meaning and purpose. And God is here in verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground, and then this, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Literally, the Hebrew word nephesh means a living soul. By the way, I mentioned earlier that Genesis chapter 1 is the panoramic vision of God's creation of all things. But Genesis chapter 2, and I've shared this with you before, it's the more like, a, you know, where you zoom in in a movie. You see this big panoramic, uh, uh, panoramic view of something, but then they bring in this really tight uh, picture. You know, like you'll see this huge mountain, and then it zooms in, you'll see a person climbing the mountain. And that's what we see in Genesis chapter 2. It, it is a, a little bit different account of God's creation that focuses in on his creation of man on the sixth day. And so what God does is, is he creates the man, uh, verse 7, uh, forms him, breathes into him the, the breath of life, and he became a living, uh, living being or a living soul. Verse 18, verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for the man. Oh, what? Did, did you hear that? Did you hear that? It's what? Not good. Wait a second. Everything's good in chapter 1. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Not only is it good, it is very good. But all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 2, do you think this is an accident? Do you think maybe Moses was a very artistic, literary genius in how he was writing and doing something very intentional and in how he was uh, writing and recording what God gave to him to give to the ancient Hebrews and to give to us today. Suddenly, suddenly, it's not good for the man to be alone. You know what aloneness feels not like? Do you know what it feels like to be completely cut off from every other person around you? Do you know what immense, uh, uh, life-sucking um, isolation and loneliness feels like? People were not made to live in isolation. People were made how? In the image of God. By the way, is God alone? No. See, for all of eternity, God was never alone. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in eternal, infinite love and community. 
God created us in His image with a need for community and connection. Where was that at? What verse? 18? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll get through this. How much time do you all have today? Just kidding. All right. Uh, the Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And that word helper means, uh, it means, it, it's used mostly in the Old Testament to speak of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. It's not a diminutive term. It is a term of real importance that one person has an incredibly important part to play in another person, in another person's life. And it says, I will make a helper suitable for him. And the Hebrew literally means this, ideally suited, perfectly suited for one another. Okay? So I'm going to make a helper perfectly suited for him. And then verse 19 and it's kind of strange. This is now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and the birds of the sky. Okay. And then God brought them to the man to see what the man would name them. All right. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But... For Adam, no suitable helper was found. God made you and me very different from animals. We are not animals. We are image bearers of God, made in the image of God. And so no, uh, for Adam, uh, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with the flesh. Then the Lord God does something spectacular and miraculous. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, hubba hubba. Okay? Yeah, that's what it says in the Hebrew. It says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is Hebrew for hubba hubba. She's fantastic. She is what I have dreamed of all of my life since I was created at 8.30 this morning. I mean, she's like different from everything, all those things that God was bringing to me earlier. Why did he wait till now to bring her to me? That's the other part of the Hebrew in this text, okay? That's why the man, oh, this is what the the word says, the scriptures, okay? This is what the moral compass that always points to north says. This is what the spiritual GPS that you can always trust in all matters of life and faith, including how you think about human sexuality, how you think about marriage, how you think about family, how you think about everything. This is what the, the word of God says. This is why a man leaves his mother and father and cleaves to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Leave, cleave, become one flesh. Leaves his father and mother, is united to his wife, or cleaves to his wife, and becomes one flesh. Verse 25. Adam and his wife were both naked 
and felt no shame. You see, there was no shame in God's creation. No shame. Have you ever felt shame? I have. Have you ever felt something that you just, you're like, it's just, you really don't like it. You wish you could eradicate it from your life. You wish you could eradicate it from your memory. You ever have that experience? After this man and this woman, there was no shame. There was complete nakedness and no fear. No fear. Um, several things I want to share with you as basic observations, and then I want to get into some action points, okay? Uh, but I think I need a little help to explain some of this to you. Uh, Caleb, would you mind grabbing this bike over here for me, please? All right, don't be distracted by the bike, all right? It has no purpose in the message, okay? It has no purpose. Um, all right, so uh, this is a bike, okay? It's a bike, all right? And uh, there's some things about this bike we're going to talk about in just a moment. But first, what I want to say to you is this, is God created you in his image. All right? That's what the Bible says, right? It says God created you in his image. It also says that God created us male and female, right? The, the Bible says it's not good for the man to be alone. Correct? Did you hear the Bible say that today? The Bible says that the man needs a helper suitable, perfectly fitted. Um, anybody ever screw a screw into like a bolt or, you know, a nut into a bolt? You ever do that? So how do you tighten it? Which direction do you turn it? Righty-tighty. I heard someone say that. And how do you loosen it? Lefty-loosey. Isn't that right? Isn't that how all screws go into a bolt? It's always righty-tighty. It's always lefty-loosey. Now, how did they decide to do righty-tighty, lefty-loosey? Why is it that the threads are meant to receive a screw or a bolt, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey? Brandon probably knows where I'm going with this because he's a cyclist. Uh, that's kind of an arbitrary decision, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. I mean, they could have just as easily designed it the opposite, right? But instead, they, I don't know who they are, but they, whoever it is that invented screws and bolts, made it so it would be righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. So the other day, I was, um, I was changing out the pedals on this bike for platform pedals. I, I, the pedals that used to be on this are the kinds that are you put your shoes and they clip in to it. Uh, and so your shoes clip into it, so they call it clipless. Okay? Now, isn't that stupid? All right. But that's because it was different from something else a long time ago. I'm not going to get lost in that. All right. So, righty, tidy, lefty, loosey. How many of you have ever taken pedals off a bicycle or put pedals on? Steve has. Rich has. Dan has. I know Brandon has. Okay. A few of us have. A few of us have. Guess what? With the right pedal, when you screw it in, it's righty-tighty, 
when you unscrew it, it's lefty-loosey until you put on the left pedal. When you put on the left pedal, it is now lefty-tidy-righty-loosey. Is that right? Yeah. Lefty-tidy-righty-loosey. Why? Why would the designers make that difference? Why would they do that? Would they do it unintentionally? Dan knows. Why, Dan? Exactly. Okay? So what, for those of you on Facebook, YouTube, hey, good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us today. Matt, Carolyn, everybody else, glad you're with us. Uh, by the way, these two guys back here are magic. They make the sound work and the cameras work. Thank you. Um, so what happens is when the, the pedal, if you were to screw it in righty-tighty, lefty-loosey with your left pedal, over time it, the pedal would become loose as you're going around again and again and again, eventually it would unscrew itself. You would un- the pedal would actually unscrew itself from the, the crank arm here. Okay, And so it's not an arbitrary design. It is an intentional design. Now, folks, when God makes things, he makes things not arbitrarily, but intentionally. It's not like God woke up one day and said, huh, I'm going to say that telling the truth is right and telling a lie is wrong. No, God didn't do that. The reason that telling the truth is right and the reason that telling a lie is wrong is because God is true. And God is truth. And that moral obligation flows from the very character of who God is. God didn't wake up one day and say, hmm, I'm just going to arbitrarily say that loving people is good and hating people is bad. No. The Bible says God is love. The moral truth that we should love flows from the very character of God. And when God made you and God made me in his image, it flowed from the very character of who God is. The designers who designed this bike did not design it arbitrarily, but intentionally. Caleb, can you take this, please? Can you all give Caleb a hand? Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Why am I saying all this? Nothing, there's nothing arbitrary about you being created in the image of God. There's nothing arbitrary about your sexuality. By the way, our sexuality is a gift. It is a gift. And when the Bible talks about the value of sex in the marriage, first of all, there is no shame with God. It's not like God created us male and female, left them naked in the garden, and said, oh my goodness, what are they doing down there? I never saw that coming. That, that's not the way it is. God knew exactly what he was doing. There's nothing to be ashamed of. But God has given us moral parameters. Why? To reflect who we are in God. 
that in a sense, the man and the woman, the two become one flesh. The two are one as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are what? One. And that the two are one, not just by agreement for a few days, not just because it's convenient, not just because she's, you know, awesomely beautiful and he's awesomely handsome, not because of all of that. But God intended us to be knitted together so that we are one, not just joining together of two bodies, but coming together of two souls, becoming one new entity. Now, here's the thing is, I'm not going to get into all the things that, 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 that we are against. I want to focus on what God is for. God is for you. He is. He is for you. He has given you truth. He has given you love. He's for you. So God created this perfect union. The only thing is, I don't know about you, but my union with my wife doesn't always feel perfect. Okay? I love my wife. I love her very much. I do. I I, I, I hope you know that I love my wife. I hope my wife really understands how much I love her. I hope my children really understand how much I love their mom. One of the greatest gifts my dad gave me and my sister and their grandchildren was his love for my mom. And, <clears throat> and I love my wife. But we are two imperfect people. And, uh, and we are living together in an imperfect relationship. There's sometimes things like selfishness and pride get in the way of loving well. Sometimes impatience gets in the way of loving well. Sometimes injuring your finger while you're working on a bicycle ends up in someone being very, very loud so everybody else gets to share in his misery, okay? Uh, sometimes those kinds of things get in the way of loving well. And see, what we're not going to read today, but Genesis chapter 3. See, God made everything good, 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 good. Wait a second. Good six times? That's it, six times? Very good, seven times. God made all things very good. But you and I both know that there are some things that are not very good. Sometimes in our lives, sometimes in our marriages, sometimes in our sexuality, sometimes in our world, sometimes in our families, you see, what the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 is that, that a deceiver deceived Adam and Eve so that Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, sin entered God's good creation. And with sin came suffering, and with sin came death. And that suffering and that death touches every human being and touches every human relationship. This is the reason that even at our best, we always fall short. By the way, one of the things I want to encourage you to do, follow Jesus imperfectly. Follow Jesus imperfectly. Because if you wait until you're perfect, you'll never follow Jesus. Follow Jesus imperfectly. If anybody imagines that they can perfectly follow Jesus, they imagine that they are Jesus. They imagine that they are their own Savior. Follow Jesus imperfectly. Sin entered God's good creation. And so with all of that, you and I have a need for a Savior. 
uh, I'm gonna, I've got some stuff. I'm going to move it to the side and not try to hit all this. Let's talk about some action points, the so what, now what of Genesis 1 and 2. You may not follow all this perfectly because I'm not a perfect communicator. So how can we experience and live out a healthy understanding of human sexuality and marriage? I want to share with you uh, six things real quick. Number one is repent. Repent. The only way you and I can have a healthy marriage is if you repent. You repent. I have to repent. Well, some of you are like, well, Gary, we understand you need to repent. It's obvious. It's obvious to the whole world. Me, I think I'm a pretty good person. I'm basically a good guy. Well, do you have any capacity for selfishness? Do you have any capacity for pride? Do you ever have a capacity to show your irritation with another person because they're not moving fast enough for you? Because they're not doing things the way you want them to do? See, every one of us has things. See, to enter into a relationship with God, we have to repent. We have to repent literally means to change directions. See, before I followed Jesus, I was going that way. But Jesus is this way. And so I had to repent. I had to turn from the sin I was pursuing. I didn't have to become perfect. I just had to turn. And begin to pursue Jesus. That's what repentance is. And by the way, repentance isn't something. See, a lot of people, they think that repentance is for the unbeliever. And if you think that, if a person thinks that, they are seriously diseased. uh, Deceived. They're diseased too. With pride, okay? I need to repent every day. And I'm pretty sure if I talk to your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents, they will tell me you need to repent every day, okay? All of us, every day, there are times where we have to repent. We have to do an about-face. We have to say, you know what? I've been, you know, one of the things I asked you all to memorize or to read and pray over in this series was 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And it begins by saying, love is patient, love is kind, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I haven't even gotten to the other stuff yet. See, I'm still just working on being patient and being kind. Every day I have to repent. I have to repent. And, and then what we have to do is we have to believe in Jesus, Lord and Savior, as the one who saves. See, as a Christian, excuse me, as a non-Christian, we look and say, yeah, he needs to believe in Jesus and be saved. But you and I need to be saved every day. From the power of sin in our lives. The Bible talks about salvation. That that we are justified, made right with God. That's salvation. One day we will be glorified with God forever. No more sin. That is glorified. But between the justified and the glorified, there is something else the Bible talks about. And it's sanctified. It is that daily walk of becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day. Okay, every day, every day, repent, believe. Number three, follow Jesus. Now, what does that look like in a marriage? A simple question, how would Jesus live out what it means to be married to your spouse? If Jesus were me, what would his expression of love look like in relationship with regards to my wife? 
I need to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus, uh, it's very interesting. When you get into the New Testament and it talks about marriage, it it, it says that, that marriage is supposed to mirror Christ's relationship with the church. What does Christ do for the church? He loves her. What does Christ do for the church? He lays down his life for her. And what is it that a husband is supposed to do? He is supposed to love his wife. He's supposed to lay down his life for her. That that I need to follow Jesus, and my wife needs to follow Jesus as well. And in the relationship, it talks about the, the husband as being the head and the woman as submitting. Now, the moment I say this, a lot of people get really anxious. A lot of people get really anxious. And this is what you need to think about when we think about, about love and submission. Did you know Jesus submits? Did you know that? Yeah, it does. It says that Jesus submits to the headship of the Father. And the Holy Spirit submits to to Jesus. There is a flow in the Godhead. And I know if I'm a woman, this is what I'm thinking. Yeah, but my husband doesn't love like Jesus. So submitting to him feels pretty hard. Okay? I get that. I get that. Um, there are things I submit to. I don't like wearing a mask? I don't know about y'all. I don't really like wearing a mask, the whole COVID thing. I don't like doing it. It feels inconvenient. It feels annoying. I hate the way my glasses fog up. I'm wearing my mask for two reasons. Number one, out of love for other people. There are some people who are very, very afraid of getting COVID. I'm not afraid. Okay? But there are other people who are. And sometimes they have really good reasons for it. They have serious health problems that make them extremely vulnerable. And out of love and concern for the other person, even though I'm pretty sure I don't have COVID, I wear a mask. There's another reason I do it. The Bible says that we are to honor those to whom honor, uh, we're to give honor to those whom honor is, how's it say it? First Corinthians chapter 2. can't remember. Anyway, uh, show honor to those who are deserving of honor. And so I do it right now. Even though I don't necessarily agree with every decision that's made by the great state of California, but I agree to honor governing authorities. Okay. Um, so, what I, the the wife is to do is to, she's supposed to show honor and respect to the husband, but to follow Jesus in how we live out what it means to be married to our spouse. Uh, number number four, love love one another. Putting one another first. Uh, Love one another. You want a strong, healthy marriage? Love. Love, love, love. There's a reason why I asked you to put 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I've got it in here somewhere. Uh, There's a reason why I asked you to put it on an index card and to read it daily and pray it daily for yourself, to pray it into your life. But to learn how to love for me to learn how to love my son and my two daughters and my wife. To learn how to love them. But to love. 
the fourth is to honor. Is to honor. By the way, I do believe that wives are supposed to honor their husbands. I do. I'm not going to, you know, uh, just because someone might find that offensive, I'm not going to back away from that because the Bible teaches that. But I also believe it's something a husband's supposed to do as well. Basically, when we think about love and we think about submission, what we're talking about here is we're talking about putting the other person first. That's what we're talking about. That all love and submission was really about about thinking more about the other person than we do of ourselves. Um, to love, to honor. Finally, uh, I'm going to put down here, seek mentorship. One of the things, if you want to have a strong, healthy marriage, what, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is to look to people who mentor you. They may mentor you up close or from afar, but they mentor for you what it looks like to live together as a married couple. So for Joy and I, through the years, there have been different people we've each looked to as mentors, okay? There are a lot of guys in ministry I've looked up to. Actually, a few of those guys I've been disappointed with. They didn't finish well in their lives, in their marriages, in their, their families. But there are people that we've looked to individually or together. And so for us, a couple that was very powerful in Joy's life and very powerful in my life, early in our ministry... Do you know who I'm going to say? Jim and Peggy Price. Oh, yeah. Did you ever say, oh, yeah? Jim and Peggy. In our early years, just launching our church, Peggy <laughs> Peggy and, and Joy are like two peas in a pod. They are just like so similar. Jim and I are pretty similar, too, in a lot of respects, okay? Uh, uh, so we have the capacity to butt heads, you know? Uh, but I'm always right. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Jim is a fantastic, godly man that I have looked up to for many, many years. We've kind of lost connection with him in the last few years. But we have looked at people as mentors, people who are actually living out the teaching of Scripture. Healthy marriages. I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come back up, and uh, they're going to close us out here in worship in just a moment. Uh, I think healthy marriages don't happen by accident. They don't happen by accident. I, I think to have a healthy marriage, you need to understand, I need to understand that we are created in the image of God. We are created male and female, and we are created to ideally to, to be uh, ideally suited and fitted to one another. However, we also have a problem. Our problem, tweet, do you need this? Uh, we also have a problem, and our problem is with sin. And so the other part of what we need to have healthy marriages is we need Jesus. We need to repent of all sin. We need to believe in Jesus. We need to follow Jesus. We need to love one another more than ourselves. We need to honor one another more than ourselves. And we need to seek out good, healthy examples that we can live our lives by. Let's pray. God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Your word is always true, not just sometimes. God, there's nothing arbitrary in anything you've ever done. That truth is true because it comes from you. And God, you are the perfect example of what love is and what love is supposed to look like in our lives. God, as followers of Jesus, we confess that we are, not just we were, but we still struggle with sin in our lives. And so we all tend to follow you with a limp. We all tend to follow you imperfectly. 
God, I am so grateful for the gift of Jesus. I am so grateful that in Jesus we have no shame. That in Jesus we are a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. That in Jesus, in Jesus there's no condemnation. That, that in, in Jesus, nothing and no one can ever separate us from your love. God, thank you for all of that. Lord, help us each day. When we blow it, help us to just be humble and admit it and repent and turn and start following you again. God, when we blow it in our marriages, help us to humble ourselves and admit it, confess Take ownership of it, not excuse it, but just ask for forgiveness. God, help us to learn how to love, even though we love imperfectly. Teach us how every day to love better. And God, teach us how to honor one another and put the other person first. Help us to follow you and to love one another. In Christ's name, amen. stand as we close. Well, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Oh, and I see many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide cause you know just what we need before we even say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Who I am. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. God, you are perfect in all of your ways. To
unexplainable I can hardly think as you call me Deeper still as you call me Call me deeper still as you call me Deeper still into love Love, love, you're a good, good father It's who you are It's who you are It's who you are And I'm loved by you It's who I am It's who I am It's who I am You're a good, good father It's who you are It's who you are it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. Amen. We are loved by Him. He invites us into His family. What a beautiful thing. Family, relationship. He created it from the beginning. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor. What a great word. Thanks, everybody, for coming and being with us today, worshiping together. Hope you have a wonderful week. Is there anything else that we're that we do with the close here? All right. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. And I think we're gonna cut the Facebook feed.